Thank you very much. Good morning, church. How's everyone today? Good. So, uh, I appreciate being here because it segues very nicely into what I'm going to talk about first. Um, Dave and Lucille have a very lovely collection of pets. Um, Meg and I are not exactly what you would call animal people. Um, so, for me, I'm allergic to just about anything that doesn't have a first, middle, and last name. Uh, and, well, for Meg, let's just say that there have been some less than encouraging experiences in her past that cause her to feel unenthusiastic about animals. Um... But all that aside, uh, when we moved from our last house to our current house, one of the things that happened is Macy changed schools, and there was some upheaval in our lives surrounded by that. And uh, as a result, um, Meg, not even myself, made a promise of fish as a, a way of saying, you know, we'll we'll give you fish when we move to the new house. Um so, show of hands, who here knows what a Singularia Tantum is? No. See, I learned this word recently. A Singularia Tantum is a noun which uh, has no difference between the plural form and the singular form. So, when Meg promised fish, fish is a Singularia Tantum. Uh... Meg heard the singular form of the noun, and Max Macy and I all heard the plural form of the noun. <laughs> Long story short, we have three guppies. <laughs> um, but uh, three little guppies, not a big deal. But it's actually, it's been fun for me. I take care of the tank. I, I like, I, I end up watching a lot of YouTube videos about, you know, how to, how to take care of a tank, how to take care of the ecosystem in the tank. And I've been watching this one series uh, by this guy who, um, anyone who's ever owned fish know you need like an aerator, you need a pump, you need a filter, you need chemicals, you need all this stuff to sort of maintain the, the delicate balance in a tank in order for the, the living creatures in your house to thrive and survive. Um, but this guy on YouTube uh, has done this tank with no filter, no pump, no nothing. He just, he, he puts the right blend of plants and algae eaters and fish and, and, and snails all in this one tank. And, and they, they thrive. These creatures thrive in this ecosystem that's a tiny little tank. But he creates this, this living, breathing ecosystem of fish and snails and shrimp and plants. And it, it's, it's been pretty cool to watch this thing because he does like intervals every few few months. So uh, you you see that he puts a lot of of love and care and attention into making sure that all these creatures in this aquarium thrive. And just like an aquarium ecosystem the church that we are all part of is a living, breathing, organic ecosystem of Christians. We all form one body. We all 
work together. We all fit together. And the amount of care and attention that you need to put into, let's say, an aquarium ecosystem, that same amount of, of diligence and work and effort and, and care needs to be put into our church ecosystem. If a church is to thrive, if, if a church is to, to live and be the embodiment of, of Christ and God's love for the world, then it needs that love and care and attention. You see, that aquarium, if, if it's not tended to, uh, despite the fact that it has no filter and no, no chemicals and no, no pump and no aerator, if it's not cared for, if the effort isn't put in, the plants overgrow and the algae overtakes and the snails overpopulate and the, the fish start fighting. Much in the same way, if the effort doesn't go into our church life with each other, the negative effects on the church as a whole die. We, we die if we don't put in that love. You see, I'm here today to, to focus on what I believe is the singular most important aspect of what will allow a church to thrive. Think about, um, think about Paul's moving letter to the Corinthians. Chapter 13, he says that love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, love is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong. He goes on, he says that without love, everything he does is pointless. If, if love isn't central to everything that Paul does, or that anyone does in the church, then his efforts and his works and everything is pointless, it has no fruit to it. Paul writes a beautiful letter, but let's go to the source. Let's go to what Jesus says about this. Our, our verse, our passage for today comes from John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. Jesus is talking to his disciples right before he's about to put on trial and be crucified and died for his, for his people. These are the words of comfort. These are the instructions. This is the last big dialogue that Jesus has with his disciples before his death. And in chapter 15 of John, verse 12, he says, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So this verse is probably something we've heard countless times, or some variation of it. Even if you're not in the church, you've probably heard the golden rule countless times, do unto others as you would do unto yourself. It might be one of the most intrinsic things that Western society teaches its kids as they grow up, that, that we're all sort of imprinted 
with this idea of the golden rule, that treat others the way you would treat yourself. Love is something that is part of human society. And I think it's imprinted on our hearts from God above that love has to be central. The ability of a church, of a congregation, to thrive, to grow, to, to successfully represent what God wants it to do, hinges, focuses, depends on love being central. Hinges on these two verses. It hinges on these instructions of Jesus. We sing a song called The Greatest Command, and it's all about love. It's all about our love for each other. Let's let's expand on, on these two verses. Earlier in in this passage, as Jesus is talking, he shares uh, an an allegory, a metaphor for what the kingdom of heaven is like. Um, he, he introduces the idea of a true vine. Jesus is the true vine. God is this gardener in this vineyard. And God goes around and he, he cuts off these branches that aren't bearing fruit. They're consuming resources from the root of the plant and they're not bearing fruit. They're useless. They're cut off and they're thrown into the fire. Well, hold on. What's the, what's the fruit? If this is an allegory for, you know, our lives as Christians in the church, what's the fruit? Um, the gardener then finds fruitful or, or branches bearing fruit, and he prunes them so that they bear even more fruit. I am not a horticulturist by any mean. I'm told this works. Um, but gardener, God, goes around and he takes these branches that are bearing fruit, and he prunes them so that they can bear more fruit. Well, there's that fruit thing again. What is this fruit? What Jesus, what are you talking about? You always explain your parables. What is this fruit you're talking about? And then, naturally, the branches that are still attached to the vine, that are still in the vine, that are still gaining nourishment from the vine, continue to bear fruit. There's that fruit thing again. Thanks, Jesus. What what fruit are we talking about here? And the fruitless branches are cut off and thrown into the fire. So it's starting to get a little serious now. Like, thrown into the fire. That's serious. What is the fruit that we are supposed to be bearing? Now, I don't know if these two verses were related or if when Paul was writing the letters to the Romans, he was thinking of maybe, maybe some of the lessons that he had taught his disciples that he had heard of. But uh, I happened to be reading through Romans at the same time as preparing this, this lesson plan, and I found a lot of similarities between that passage talking about the vine and the fruit and what Paul says to the Roman church in chapter 11. He says, starting in the second part of verse 16, If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. 
If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted. But they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. See, these Christians in Rome were, were being likened to, to wild olives grafted in to this root. Again, not being a horticulturalist, horticulturalist, my understanding is that you can create hybrid fruit or you can create more successful overall crops by grafting in different varieties of plants. I, I think it helps with pollination and the gene pool. Again, I'm getting it over over my head here. But, but the lesson that Paul has for the church in Rome is he's cautioning them. He's cautioning these Christians in Rome about their standing in the kingdom. You see, their, their continued life and fruitfulness was based upon the nourishment that they continued to get from the root. These branches on their own don't thrive, but when connected to the root, they gain that nourishing sap, as Paul calls it. They, they thrive, they grow. You see, we as Christians have hope because our hope is rooted in God. We have strength because God nourishes us spiritually. We have life because the root gave his life for us. And we have love because Jesus showed us love first. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus' own words. When Jesus went to the cross, it was more than just a bullet point on God's, you know, five-point plan for perfecting imperfect humans. I should have said people. That would be a better alliteration. It wasn't just a thing that had to get accomplished. It was an outpouring of pure, unadulterated, unselfish love for us at Christ's expense. We see examples of Jesus throughout the Bible being compassionate on the sick and downtrodden. Uh, we see it. We see it everywhere. Everywhere we turn in, in Scripture in the New Testament, we see different examples of God uh, working through Jesus to minister to the people on Earth. But the cross is the ultimate act of love that's ever been recorded in all of human history. The cross is the singular greatest act of love that has ever been recorded. This isn't just one man dying for, for one person like a Hollywood movie to, to save them and, and a hero story is told. To, to get a, a picture of the, the depth of Jesus' love for us, for you, think about someone 
in your life that you love or loved? What is the worst possible thing that that person could do for you, could do to you? Maybe it's infidelity in a marriage. Maybe it's a child walking away from you and disowning you, living a life of depravity. Maybe it's a friend backstabbing you. Maybe it's someone stealing from you. Maybe uh, it, it's a parent or or family that uh, member that that has abused you. Maybe it's it's being being called out unjustly and and someone testifying against you falsely. For something you didn't do. Maybe it's 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 something else. But think about the worst possible thing someone could do to you when you love that person. What would you be willing to do for that person? Would you be willing to die for them? Would you be willing to do that knowing that they did or are about to betray you? You see, Jesus' act of love was with the full and complete understanding of how we would betray him with our sin, of, of the terrible things we would do to our relationship with God by, by separating ourselves, by being stiff-necked and rebellious in our relationship with God. The sweat drops of blood that, that poured out of his body in Gethsemane were physical anguish as a result of knowing the torment, of knowing the depth of our sin that had to be placed on his shoulders. And he did it anyway. He knows that thing that I keep, you know, falling into in my sin. He knows that thing that you keep falling into in your sin. He knows all that. And he knew all that before willingly going to the cross. He saw it all. Our lives are completely steeped in sin. We know this. We weren't able to hold up the law. None of us were. It wasn't just Adam and Eve who ate that forbidden fruit and created separation between themselves and God. I see myself taking that fruit and taking a bite as well. I am just as culpable, as guilty, as responsible for creating separation between myself and God. And he still went to the cross for me. Listen, our love needs to be like that of Christ. Our love for each other needs to be like that of Christ. Later on in Romans, Paul continues to guide the brothers and sisters in that church in Rome, and he guides them with respect to their relationship with a weaker brother or sister. Some of the things he talks about is uh, food sacrificed to idols. Rome was this very worldly city that had a lot of different gods and temples and, and, and everything that were, were worshipped falsely. Uh, and there would be food sacrificed to them. And some Christians, knowing that those aren't real gods, that don't, they're, they're not real. It's, it's 
just food. It doesn't matter. They would eat it, and they wouldn't feel convicted about that, that they were committing some sort of act of, of, uh, of, of blasphemy or anything. But other brothers and sisters would be like, whoa, why, why are you doing that? Like, that, the, that's part of a, a, a ritual that this guy thinks is sacred to this non-existent God. Like, that's blasphemous. You shouldn't do that. And you can see how there's like a difference of opinion there. One person's not convicted by it, and the other person is convicted by it. Same thing with, um, you know, what people would drink. The same thing with keeping sacred days. For for some Christians in Rome, they they kept these days that were sacred, and and they they dedicated them to the Lord. But then other Christians would be like, no, we're free from all that all that that stuff in the law where we had to keep special days. That like worshiped in spirit and in truth. We don't need to do that. And so some Christians were convicted by this need to keep these sacred days, and these other Christians were just as convicted that, no, you don't, you don't have to do that. We're free from that. So there's this difference of opinion. And, and Paul writes his letter, again, lovingly guiding these Christians, saying, you know, you have to consider the weaker brother here, and you, you have to submit to them. And... Um, I've come to learn that in all these disputable matters with with our brothers and sisters, I mean, you guys are probably no different than our little congregation in, in Kitchener. Disagreements happen. There are disputes among us. I've come to learn that we need to consider ourselves as a weaker brother or sister. Dave, you are the weaker brother. Lucille, you are the weaker sister. Paul, I am the weaker brother. I'm not going to pick on all of us. I am the weaker brother. Christ, Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our perfect unblemished, sacrificial Passover lamb submitted himself to our needs. Who are we to hold on to our pride and our arrogance and our self-righteousness to not submit ourselves in love to our brothers and sisters? Just like that aquarium that if left untended, the, the plants would, would overgrow and, and, and crowd out the water and, and the, the snails would reproduce vigorously and, and strip you know, the nutrients from the planting medium and, and, and the shrimp would overpopulate and then the fish would get stressed out and start eating the shrimp. Like... Just like that ecosystem, if we don't put love into our relationships, this church will not thrive. This church will not grow. This church will die out. Our love comes from God, from our root. And we need to put that out into our lives, into our relationships with each other.
So Jesus mentions fruit a bunch of times in there. The fruit that he is talking about, the fruit that he is exhorting us all to bear in our Christian lives is the fruit of love. The product of a godly life is love. Put aside your petty disagreement with your brother or sister. Put aside your pride that wants you to consider yourself right in this situation, that wants you to consider that, no, this guy's a weaker brother, this guy doesn't understand everything that's going on, he's being immature, he's being ignorant, he doesn't know his Bible, he doesn't... Put that aside and submit yourself in love to your brother or sister, just as Christ submitted himself to our needs. Be willing to sacrifice your position in whatever disagreement or argument or or dispute you have for the sake of your brother's edification, for the sake of your brother's ability to grow and thrive in his relationship with God. And lastly, rejoice in what you do have in common. Rejoice in the fact that we all share in this eternal life with God. These petty disputes we have between each other are not, you know, the ultimate thing. We ultimately have life eternally with God in his kingdom. And whatever you're fighting with your brother or sister about doesn't compare to that eternal life with God. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. God in heaven, we thank you for this time together as a church. We thank you for the love that you have shown us first. Before we were even worthy to come before you in your throne room, Lord, you poured out your love to us through the cross. God, help us to tap into that. Help us to to use that in our relationships with each other, that we can love each other, that we can support each other, that we can submit to each other. God, I pray that you will bless the church here in Guelph and that you will help them to thrive and grow and, and be a shining example of your love for all the people in this community. I ask this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. We'll break for five. Some coffee.